you'll see today how um, the different angles that we can look at how we pray to Krishna. I think that's the main takeaway from especially, you know, the, the last five or six verses that we're going to cover today. And looking and, and looking at it, I plan I hope to look at it from different angles. Um Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Okay, so we are reading from the Sri we're studying. Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 9, and we're on verse 22 today. Okay? And uh, the recording is on, so we're all set. <clears throat> Free from all material conceptions of existence and never wonderstruck by anything, the Lord is always jubilant and fully satisfied by his own spiritual perfection. So this is a nice glimpse into what Krishna is like. He, he has no material designations, and therefore he is steady and unattached. Because material designations can change, right? But he's steady because he doesn't have those. And unattached because designations tend, we tend to uh, become attached to and identify with material designation. So therefore, he's steady and unattached. That supreme personality of God, it is the only shelter of everyone. Anyone desiring to be protected by others is certainly a great fool who desire, who desires to cross the sea by holding the tail of a dog. So we, we did discuss that, didn't we, last time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Manu named King, so 23. The Manu named King Satyabrata formerly saved himself by tying the small boat of the entire world to the horn of the Matsya Avatar, the fish incarnation. By the grace of Matsya Avatar, uh, Manu saved himself from the great dangers of the flood. May that same fish incarnation save us from the great and fearful danger caused by the son of Tosta. And we also know what did, what else did uh, Matsya, was he famous for saving? The scriptures. Yes, very good, Sukhanda. Yes, the Shastra. So when devotees were, uh, at one time, they, I, this was many, many years ago, they had access to some very hard to get um, ancient Vedic texts in India. And so in those days, they were doing microfiche. They were, you know, photographing them in, in, that, in that format. And they called it the Matsya Project for obvious reasons. <laughs> I think uh, Henry Shren was uh, involved in that project. Sounds like a fishy story, Henry. <laughs> Cute. All right, text 24. In the beginning of creation, a tremendous wind caused fierce waves of inundating water. The great waves made such a horrible sound that Lord Brahma almost fell from his seat on the lotus into the water of devastation. But he was saved with the help of the Lord. Thus, we also expect the Lord to protect us from dangerous condition, from this dangerous condition. So they're really calling for help. The Supreme Personality of God who created us by his external potency and by whose mercy we expand the creation of the universe 
is always situated before us as a super soul, but we cannot see his form. We are unable to see him because all of us think that we are separate and independent gods. So this is, you know, the, the, the sayings like, uh, in the Bible about how hard it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. And Queen Kunti also prayed like that, 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 uh, Op, different material opulences are actually a challenge for a, an aspiring uh, spiritualist. <clears throat> so here we kind of see one of the reasons why, you know, demigods, they, they, they have a lot of power and, and they, they aren't able to see the super. Why? Because they are intoxicated by that power and they think themselves separate and independent gods. Of course, this is also their humility because they're actually praying to <laughs> Lord Narayan. Text 26 and 27. By his inconceivable internal potency, the Supreme Personality of God, it expands into various transcendental bodies as Vamanadev, the incarnation of strength among the demigods, Parashurama, the incarnation among saints, Nirsimhadev, and Varaha, the incarnations amongst animals, and Matsya and Korma, incarnations amongst aquatics. He accepts various transcendental bodies among all types of living entities and among human beings, he especially appears as Lord Krishna and Lord Rama. By his causeless mercy, he protects the demigods who are always harassed by the demons. So they're they're like saying, hey, you know, that includes us. (laughs) He is the supreme worshipable deity of all living entities. He is supreme. He is the supreme cause represented as the male and female creative energies. Although different from this universe, he exists in his universal form, Virat Rupa. In our fearful condition, let us take shelter of him, for we are sure that the Supreme Lord, the su- Supreme Soul, will give us protection. So this, it's, it's you know, for later verses, it's, it's helpful to uh, flag this point, that in our fearful condition, let us take shelter of him. Okay, we're going up to 33, so 28. Okay, so Sri Sukadev Goswami said, My dear king, when all, who's, the, who's my dear king? Parikshit Maharaj. Parikshit. Yes, Parikshit, yes. My dear king, when all the demigods offered him their prayers, the supreme personality of God, Lord Hari, carrying his weapons, the conch shell disc and club, appeared first within their hearts and then before them. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Surrounding and serving the Supreme Personality of God at Narayana were 16 personal attendees, attendants, um, decorated with ornaments and appearing exactly like him, but without the mark of Srivatsa and the Koshtuba gem, jewel. O king, when all the demigods saw the Supreme Lord in that posture, smiling with eyes like the petals of lotuses grown in autumn, they were overwhelmed with happiness and immediately fell down like rods, offering dundavats. Then they slowly rose and pleased the Lord by offering him prayers. So interesting here, just an interesting comparison. I think uh, we were saying that I think it's July, June and July that the lotuses grow in Washington, D.C. But here it says the autumn. And even if you, you know, go by the six seasons that they, they have in the Vedic times and also in India, um, Autumn would not be uh, June, July, uh, July, August, uh, 
June, July. It would be more the end of the hot season and the beginning of the rainy season, at least in northern India. And I would assume it's uh, different in other places. Raghunandam, what is the what is it like uh, in South India? When is the rainy season and the hot season? Rainy season starts somewhere around October. October. Acha, so late yeah. compared to my Vrindavan. It's um, uh, well, it's July or August. So yeah, Shakshi, what about where you're from? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. I am also from South. Normally, from uh, as uh, Raghunandan Prabhu said, August, like instead of October, uh, August to November end, um, uh, around like December fifteenth. Also, there will be rain, Prabhuji. Acha, wow. Hi, Krishna. <laughs> Amazing. Different. Yeah, I guess the monsoon travels, so to speak. Okay. Um, the next one is 31. The demigod said, okay, so he, that was Sukadeva Swami talking to Prichit Maharaj. Now the demigods are saying, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, you are competent to give the results of sacrifice. And you are also the time factor that destroys all such results in due course. You are the one who releases the chakra to kill the demons, O Lord, who possess uh, many varieties of names. We offer our respectful obeisances unto you. O Supreme Controller, you control the three destinations, which are promotion to the heavenly planets, birth as a human being, and condemnation in hell. Yet your supreme abode is Vaikuntha Dham. Since we appeared after you created this cosmic manifestation. Your activities are impossible for us to understand. We therefore have nothing to offer you but our humble obeisances. So it's hard for the created to understand the creator, right? Just like, you know, uh, when we were children, do we have a different view of our parents now than when we were children? Right. We couldn't, you know, you, you either think that they're like gods or they're, you know, they're like Yamaraj personified or, you know, whatever our view was of our parents. Um, it wasn't a full view. It's hard for the um, created to understand the creator. And that's a theme that comes up in the in Prabhupada's books, several places. OK, now thirty three. O Supreme Personality of Godhead, O Narayan, O Vasudev, O Original Person, O Most Exalted Person, Supreme Experience, Welfare Personified, O Supreme Benediction, Supremely Merciful and Changeless, changeless. O Support of the Cosmic Manifestation, Sole Proprietor of All Planetary Systems, Master of Everything and Husband of the Goddess of Fortune. Your Lordship is realized by the topmost sannyasis who wander about the world to preach Krishna consciousness, fully absorbed in samadhi, through bhakti yoga, because their minds are con concentrated upon you, uh, they can receive the conception of your personality in their fully purified hearts. When the darkness in their hearts is completely eradicated and you are revealed to them, the transcendental bliss they enjoy is the transcendental form of your lordship. No one but such persons can realize you. Therefore, we simply offer you our respectful obeisances. So in the purport, Prabhupada writes, uh, he, he, he talks about the different um, manifestations of Krishna and in different incarnations. 
And then he says, above realization of Narayan is the realization of Baladev, and above that is realization of Krishna. All these realizations are possible when one engages fully in devotional service. The covered core of one's heart is then completely open to receiving an understanding of the Supreme Personality of God in his various forms. So there is, uh, there's no way around it <laughs> that if we want to become God-realized, Krishna conscious, we need to work towards being fully engaged in devotional service because all these realizations are possible when one engages fully in devotional service. And, and uh, so it's not just the time we spend in devotional service, it's the quality. And especially if we, are, if we have this crazy goal, in one sense, of understanding the topmost personality of all personalities of Godhead, Sri Krishna, or Radha and Krishna, that is a tall order, and only possible by the combined mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and um, the great devotees of the Lord, the Guru Parampara. Now, this verse in the purport naturally echoes the famous verse in the first canto, chapter 3, verse 28. Ete chanksha kala pungsang krishnas tu bhagavan svayam. Indrari vyakalam lokam. All the above-mentioned incarnations are either plenary portions or portions of plenary portions of the Lord because the previous verses talked about different incarnations. But Lord Krishna is the original personality of Godhead. All of them appear on planets whenever there is a disturbance created by the atheists. The Lord incarnates to protect the theists. Um, it's a long purport. I won't read the whole thing, but there were, I did want to read uh, a little bit of it just to give us a little taste. Um, Lord Parashram and Lord Nishringa display unusual opulences by killing the disobedient Chatris 21 times and killing the greatly powerful atheist Hiranyakashipu. Hiranyakashipu was so powerful that even the demigods in other planets would tremble simply by the unfavorable raising of his eyebrow. And here, the demigods in the higher level of material existence um, many, many times excel the most well-to-do human beings in longe longevity, beauty, wealth, paraphernalia, and all other respects. Still, they were afraid of Hiranyakashipu. So that's another example of the demigods praying for protection. Thus, we can simply imagine how powerful Hiranyakashipu was in this material world. But even Hiranyakashipu was cut into small pieces by the nails of Lord Nushimha. This means that anyone materially powerful cannot stand the strength of the Lord's nails. Then he goes on to explain different, uh, more incarnations. So all the different, different, so all the different indirectly or directly empowered incarnations of the Lord manifested different features. But Lord Krishna, the primeval Lord, exhibited the complete feature of Godhead. And thus it is confirmed that he is the source of all other incarnations. And the most extraordinary feature exhibited by Lord Krishna was his internal energetic manifestation of his pastimes with the cowherd girls. His pastimes with the gopis are all displays of transcendental existence, bliss, and knowledge, 
although these are manifest apparently as sex love. The specific attraction of his pastime with the gopis should never be misunderstood. The Bhagavatam relates these transcendental pastimes in the 10th canto. And in order to reach the position of, to understand the transcendental nature of Lord Krishna's pastimes with the gopis, the Bhagavatam promotes the student gradually in nine other cantos. So it's, it's a wonderful purport. You might want to take the time to read, but this is the, uh, the essence of this first 20, 33. So any questions or comments up to what we've covered so far? You know, I, I got a little, con- where was that part about raising the eyebrow? I like Hiranyakashipu raised his eyebrow, did you say, or something? Was that- yes, that was in the purport to the first canto, chapter 3, verse 28, which is the, you could say it's the most important verse in the Bhagavatam. Aha. One three one three twenty eight because it has the uh name uh Paribasya Sutra, which means the verse that all other verses in the Bhagavatam point towards, directly or indirectly. Uh and Jiva Goswami in his I think main well, I was gonna say the toughest of Sandarva. Uh, I, I I'm not a scholar of the Sandarvas. Um but he goes at length, at length, at length to establish that this verse and to explain each word of this verse and how important it is for uh, followers of Lord Chaitanya. Very, very tiny comment. Yes. Uh, uh, supporting that. Um, the fact that it goes into so much uh, nice detail that, you know, instead of just saying Krishna is everything, you know, it's like a blanket. Um, this verse points out very specifically how his energies are um, variegated and we're all connected in one way or another. And it, and, um, it really does speak against the uh, atheistic uh, philosophy or the Mayavad philosophy emerging into oneness. Yeah. And, you know, the, you, we understand that People from other traditions will struggle at first sometimes, some some people will, um, understanding that Krishna is the fountainhead or the example of the uh, one candle that lights all the other candles, but that, that we're simultaneously, we're monotheistic, there's only one God, and that he appears in so many multifarious ways. Um. Most people think Hinduism is polytheistic for good reason. <laughs> and, uh, and the, you know, it, 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 um, it's quite a realization to understand that there are so many demigods and there's also so many incarnations of Krishna that aren't demigods that are Swangsa, not Divimangsa. Okay. Th- those devotees who grew up, uh, in um, in India or in, in Hinduism, did you was this easy for you, or was this a struggle to make this distinction between demigods and and uh, Vishnu Tattva when you when you first heard about Krishna consciousness, or was it all, or were you Vaishnavas and you understood it all all along? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Uh, uh, growing up in India. 
many are spoiled by shankaracharya's philosophy of uh, monism and uh, oneness and the worship of demigods and uh, the worship of the supreme lord there was no clear distinction so it was like people used to respect and worship and honor everybody and there was no clear conception of this one is the supreme lord and these are the um, the expansions are uh representations of the energy there was no conception like that until i came into contact with uh, the books of shri laprupa mm. and then was it was it easy to change your view or yes prabhu one then it became very clear like how all these fit together into one little picture acha thank you for that anyone else on that indian but i think one to do it right one has to learn how to reassign love hmm. because if you grow up in india and you learn to love ganesha right and some people really love him he's very loved right but you have to look that's an emotion that's not a, a strictly logical thing so you have to learn to reassign that raw emotion to the proper highest point that's the hard part that's a really nice that's a really nice way to say it really really very insightful and because it is for some people the hardest part because you know um child for example childhood memories are really they go quite deep sometimes and if you remember uh, what's the name of that festival the ganesh chat what is that called the big festival at least i know in bombay it's a huge festival ganesh chaturthi yeah and if you remember that is you know just a wonderful family time and and this this and that um it's it you know you remember that <laughs> and and philosophy it's a, it's a good point yeah it's a very good point um now something that it's it's an aside from what we're talking about but when you 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 know something i've learned just in the last year or so i've really started to figure out about how the parts of the bhagavatam the trila prabhupad wrote at the radhadamadar temple the very very first parts of the bhagavatam are so amazing you know are just so amazing and uh, yeah. begun going on to think about you know where he was you know and and where he was in life and geographically when he wrote the various parts of the bhagavatam but the first parts written at radhadamadar are just so amazing yeah and he said that uh He didn't know how long he would live so he wanted to put everything in the first canto and then he said he didn't know how long he would live so he wanted to put everything in the first chapter and therefore he decided to put everything in the first verse so if you, if you if we understand the first verse of the bhagavatam and the purport we're we're doing great <laughs> okay then let's let's uh continue and we are going up to verse 36 Oh Lord, you need no support and although you have no material body, you do not need cooperation from us. Since you are the cause of the cosmic manifestation and you supply its material ingredients without being transformed, you create, maintain and annihilate this cosmic manifestation by yourself. Nevertheless, although you appear engaged in material activities, you are transcendental to all material qualities. Consequently, these transcendental activities of yours are extremely difficult to understand. 
So we won't get into this now, but you know, there's there's a huge philosophical point that we could go on that someone you know, could go on for hours about where it says you supply the material ingredients, but without being transformed. So there's no vikara uh, uh, in Krishna, no transformation, and that's that's a very important and deep philosophical point. But we won't go into that now. But just just pointing out that, um, and therefore Prabhupada kind of gets into the whole thing with the with the Maya bodies a bit in the purport. Mm. But you know, in other words, we're we're skimming over these, but each verse, someone like Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur could speak for three months on. These are our inquiries. The ordinary conditioned soul is subject to the material laws, and he thus receives the fruits of his action. Does your lordship, like an ordinary human being, exist within this material world in a body produced by the material modes? Do you enjoy or suffer the good or bad results of actions under the influence of time, past work, and so forth? Or, on the contrary, are you present here only as a neutral witness who is self-sufficient, free from all material desires, and always full of spiritual potency? We certainly cannot understand your actual position. O Supreme Personality of Godhead, all the contradi- all contradictions can be reconciled in you. That's an important point we'll talk about. O Lord, since you are the Supreme Person, the reservoir of unlimited spiritual qualities, the Supreme Controller, your unlimited glories are inconceivable to the conditioned souls. Many modern theologians argue about right and wrong without knowing what is actually right. Their arguments are always false and their judgments inconclusive because they have no authorized evidence with which to gain knowledge of you. Because their minds are agitated by scriptures containing false conclusions, they are unable to understand the truth concerning you. Furthermore, because, so that's another important point, because their minds are agitated by scriptures containing false conclusions, they are unable to understand the truth concerning you. Furthermore, because of polluted eagerness, to arrive at the right conclusion. Their theories, their theories are incapable of revealing you, who are transcendental to their material conception. So that also, that, that sentence uh, should reinforce for us the um, patience part, just like utsaha nishaya darya. Patience, it takes some patience, you know, and it says, you know, because of polluted ignorance, uh, eagerness, polluted Eagerness, isn't that an interesting combination? Polluted eagerness. Because we should be eager to attain Krishna consciousness. But polluted ignorance can can get us going uh, at the right speed, but in the wrong direction. So in one sense, you could think that's yeah. even worse than polluted uh, laziness, <laughs> right? I mean, at, least, I mean, at least you go in the wrong direction at a slower pace. Was someone saying something? Yeah, to me, polluted uh, eagerness is is uh, eagerness that's motivated by getting to some goal quickly, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you are one without a second, and therefore, in your in you, contradictions like doing and not doing, happiness and distress are not contradictory. Your potency is so great that it can do and undo anything as you like. It kind of reminds us right at the time, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Chaitanya, you know, 
presented an argument, then defeated his own argument, then defeated the defeating of the argument. <laughs> Since there is no duality in your constitutional position, you can do everything by the influence of your energy. So there's a, a number of little short sentences that I wanted to highlight here. The second one, he enjoys bliss in two ways. Now listen to this. Can you imagine someone saying this about an ordinary person? He, when he appears happy and when he appears distressed. <laughs> and a little further, since he is full of all transcendental attributes, nothing abominable from the material world can exist in him. Hmm, that's interesting. Nothing abominable from the material world. A little later, because he is all powerful, he is not subject to the conditioned soul's arguments regarding his existence or non-existence. I thought that was very interesting. That um, he's all powerful, and if if Krishna exists, which the Bhagavatam is making clear that he does, then um, does it matter? if we think he does or not, <laughs> right? And it doesn't affect him if, you know, there is a society of atheists or, you know, Descartes says this and Hegel says that and Socrates says this. And, you know, does it affect Krishna's dancing in with the gopis in Vrindavan, right? So I just, he, so he is, that's it. Just those two words. He is who he is. And people can say whatever they want. And it doesn't matter <laughs> in the ultimate, right? It's it's an interest. I, I I thought that was just a uh, great thing that uh, he is not subject to the conditioned soul's arguments regarding his existence or non-existence. And a little further, non-devotees cannot understand. This is towards the last paragraph. The contradictions present in the supreme Lord or his devotees. Therefore, in Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, Bhaktyamam Abhijananti. The transcendental pastimes can be understood through devotional service. To non-devotees, they are inconceivable. One should not try to understand such realities simply by logical arguments. Last sentence. They will not bring one to the right conclusion about the absolute truth. So there's a lot to be said here. So here it says, um, one should not try to understand such reality simply by logical arguments, and they will not bring one to the right conclusion. But we have to understand that in context here, that is uh, Prabhupada and, and, and the, you know, in the context that we're, we're referring to um, non-devotees speculating like that. But, but we can, if we want to, but we need to balance this with other, other understandings. Like, for example, in the Adi Lila, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, there's a pretty well-known verse. It says, if you are indeed interested in logic and argument, okay, so you're interested in logic and argument, kindly apply it to the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If you do so, you will find it to be strikingly wonderful. So you can, so in this sense, he's saying you can apply logic and argument to this most inconceivable person, Lord Chaitanya. Hmm. But then a little later on, just, uh, oh, and actually not, not later on, in the purport it says, for logicians who want to accept only that which is proven through logic and argument, it is a fact that without logic and reason, now listen, see, is this a contradiction to what we just read? 
It is a fact that without logic and reason, there can be no question of accepting the absolute truth. No, because Prabhupada is saying we sh- it makes sense that the absolute truth is there. So we so an intel a smart person should apply their logic and reason to understand that. Unfortunately, when such logicians take the path without this path without the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they remain on the platform of logic and argument and do not advance in spiritual life. So that's kind of marrying these two points. Okay, so you can be interested in logic and argument, but the point is to apply it to, in this case, to Lord Chaitanya. So when you have read Prabhupada's books, what seeming contradictions have concerned you? What have you read or heard that you thought maybe was contradictory? (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm having a problem with energy because uh, <laughs> energy is actually material. I right. think it's the problem is the word. People talk about light, like uh, like New Age people. They don't want to talk about God, so they talk about the light. Right. But light, light is actually material. It's completely material. It's made out of physical uh, fluctuations, uh, energy, you know, frequencies, right? Right. And like actual light particles have applied pressure. You can make a solar sail, right? So, <laughs> so the fact that uh, the Lord, the real true Lord, is transcendental to all this, but whenever you talk about energy, he's producing, that's automatically material in, in the sense of the English word energy. So I'm having some problems. Well, okay, so let's talk about that just for a minute. Yeah. So I, I, maybe the best word for this discussion, at least in Sanskrit, would be Shakti. Yeah. Okay? And so, we have the uh, Antaranga Shakti, which is what you've been talking about, the external energy. And the reason we... Okay, then we have the marginal Tatasta Shakti, which is us, the marginal energy. It's spiritual, but it's... But we're trying to to figure out, do we want to be spiritual or attracted to the material? And then there is the Surup Shakti, or the um, there's the Shakti, the internal energy of the Lord. Um, did I say Antaranga Shakti? Uh, Antaranga is the internal, right? Yeah, Antaranga is. Yes. Yeah. What's the external? Bahiranga Shakti. Bahiranga. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are so polite that you didn't bring it up. <laughs> uh, and then the Antaranga Shakti is divided sometimes into three. Um, well, different, sometimes 16, but at least three. Uh, the Ladini Shakti, which is the pleasure potency of the Lord, or the bliss. The uh, Sandini Shakti, which is existence. And the Chit Shakti, which is knowledge. So therefore we say Sat Chit Ananda. Exist, eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. And the reason in this sense energy is used, uh, Andy, is because they all emanate from the energetic, just like the light bulb that we have yes. is coming from whatever, Pepco or, you know. Well, they emanate from the Shakti, the power. Yes, and where does the Shakti, the Shakti comes from the Shakti Man, the owner of the Shakti. So for a person who's very, now this is not recommended for us at our level of Bhakti, but for the person who's very spiritual, they even see the material energy like light as spiritual because they're seeing the source as spiritual 
<laughs> they, they understand it's material, but they're seeing that, you know, that it's coming ultimately from the spirituals, from Krishna or, you know, through his representatives. So I hope that was helpful and not more confusing. Uh, what do others, any contradictions or doubts that you've had uh, that are hard to figure out? Uh, sometimes, Prabhuji, in the purports, Prabhupada writes that one should be chanting 24 hours a day. And other uh, times he has said he has said 16 rounds as a minimum. Right. Okay. Yes. Well, that one's easier because right? he said minimum. Uh, you didn't say that, you know. But the I think the harder question is how do you chant 24 hours a day? Right? Um it, it's a bit of a challenge. I remember, I think I told you the story some years ago, but a friend of mine, his name was Prabhanu Prabhu. He's a disciple of Srila Prabhupada's and he got, he got initiated by mail. And uh, in the letter, Prabhupada write, you know, please chant 24 hours a day. I mean, he said, you promised to chant 16 rounds, but at least, you know, try to chant. And so I think he said he lasted like a day and a half and he had to go to sleep. You know, he was trying to stay awake. <laughs> he was trying to take it that, that literally. Um, so what does that mean? I, I, I guess, well, I mean, there's different ways that we can try to understand it, like just doing everything for Krishna, right? Even when you're resting and you're only, you know, you're resting the, uh, the right amount to keep body, you know, to keep yourself sharp and, and all that. So you're, but you're doing that not because it's just fun to do, but you're doing it for Krishna. So I always took it like that. At the same time, one time, I think I told you this story also a few months ago, maybe, that Burijan Prabhu was traveling with Srila Prabhupada on a long flight, I think, from Australia to Fiji. And um, he was told that it was the first time he had traveled with Srila Prabhupada, and he was told, when you're with Prabhupada, Prabhupada really likes it if you're always chanting. So when he, so he did that. He was always, when he was with Prabhupada on this, you know, and he was chanting so much so that he... Uh, he was chanting in, in, in the airplane and the person in the, the seat behind him kicked the seat and would you stop that chanting? <laughs> and he said he chanted every mantra he ever heard and every, every song he knew. And when they were getting up, when, they, when the flight landed and they were leaving and Prabhupada turned to um, Pradumna Prabhu, who was a Sanskrit scholar, and he said... Uh, he said, did you notice this habit that Burijan has of always chanting? This is a very good habit. You should take up this habit. When I got initiated by Burijan Prabhu, he, he passed that on to me. I haven't been following that so strictly, but he said, you know, um, but that's, that's the best I could do. For me, I, I think it's, um, I can't remember, I think it's verse uh, 29, 28 and 29 of the first chapter of the Gita where in one verse, Krishna says that Arjuna was, was a very pure-hearted uh, soul, and therefore he felt compassion. And in the next verse, he said he was in material consciousness. So that one kind of, I scratched my head for a few years on that one. Um, until I asked the senior devotee, and he said, well, no, Prabhupada is emphasizing different points in the, in the two purports, like that. So there may be seeming contradictions, but... Um, and that's why we use the word seeming, but it's, it's good, to, it's good to address contradictions, not just, uh, seeming contradictions that, or doubts 
and not just sweep them under the carpet of neglect. Um, it's better to, to address them. Now, what I did was I did a little word search because here in the verse and in the purport, um, and especially that point that he is not subject to the conditioned soul's arguments regarding his existence or non-existence. So I looked for, so I looked for this, um, I, I did a word search for the word teeny brains. And here's a few verses. Persons with tiny, teeny or tiny brains within this petty planet Earth, that's also interesting, petty planet Earth, think of the Lord as one of them. Thus, when the Lord says in the Bhagavad Gita that he, Lord Krishna, is all in all, the speculative philosophers and the mundane wranglers deride him. And the Lord regretful, regretfully says, Avajananti Mamudha, that I don't reveal myself to them. Another place, Adi Lila, it says, in an honest search for truth, we must admit that his powers are inconceivable. And our tiny brains to, oh no, are inconceivable to our tiny brains. The exploration of space has demanded the work of the greatest scientists of the world. Yet there are countless problems regarding even fundamental knowledge of the material creation that bewilder scientists who confront them. Such material knowledge is far removed from the spiritual nature, and therefore the acts and arrangements of this absolute truth are, beyond all doubts, inconceivable. And one more. Revealed knowledge may in the beginning be unbelievable because of our paradoxical desire to verify everything with our tiny brains. But the speculative means of attaining knowledge is always imperfect. I'll read that again. Revealed knowledge may in the beginning be unbelievable because of our paradoxical desire to verify everything with our tiny brains. But the speculative means of attaining knowledge is always imperfect. So, anyone with a tiny brain have a question or comment? Hare Krishna, Babu. No, you have a big brain, Nandi Mukhi. (laughs) I just reflect on this point you just brought up. I think, uh, for me, I have life experience on this. Um, not only because I come from a different cultural background, but also I'm surrounded by people from different cultural backgrounds, uh, other than the Vedic one. And, uh, and I think like this kind of, uh, verification doubts always exist. Um, for example, one time I was trying to tell, uh, a colleague or have colleague have friend of mine he is also like a phd something from uh, from another university and then i was uh, we are talking about uh, this um, like topic of soul and transmigration uh, kind of, uh, things and uh, i was relating to him uh uh the six stages that we experience when we are inside a body and how that is distinguished i the uh the body that is living and the body that is non-living uh-huh. that the difference between a conscious living entity and the normal unconscious material things right and to bring up this concept of soul and his direct question is how do you how how why you say that it is six stages why not seven stages or eight stages or nine stages 
So it's really no, for me, it's no good argument for to for him to uh, for me to provide him with. It's just a, a, a something I learned from uh, from the Bhagavad Gita, and he is questioning why so, why not that? Right. I see. You mean the six stages of transformation. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and it's and it's interesting in the eleventh canto. Okay, which chapter it is? Um, 11th Canto. I'm not going to remember right away. Uh, it might be chapter 22. Um, yeah, it is 22. How do you like that? Pretty good. Um, Krishna, Uddhava asks Krishna the question, uh, just because, you know, you were saying, why six? Uh, Uddhava asks the question that, uh, well, you just you describe there's 28 elements, um, but some authorities say there's 26, some say 25, some say 7, 9, 6, 4, and 11, and even 17, 16, or 13. So what, what, how am I supposed to understand this, Uddhava says? Um, and then Krishna replies, because all material elements are present everywhere, it is reasonable that different learned Brahmanas have analyzed them in different ways. All such philosophy, uh, you know, so he, uh, he, he says, um, they could say anything, they can say this without contradicting the truth. So I just thought it was interesting that maybe, you know, it could be seven or eight, you know, if you want to say, uh, you know, it's, it, but it means the same thing, whether it's, you know what I mean? You could, you could, because we say, um, exists, what do we say? We say is born, grows, exists for some time. Uh, dwindles. So you could say, well, the exists for sometimes younger, exists for sometimes a little older. You know, you could have subcategories and not really be contradicting with, with that basic point. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, if you, if you, I find, um, chapter, those, those first 10 verses or so in chapter 22 of the 11th canto really important for us because it, what it's saying is different scholars were looking at things the same, uh, different ways. And they didn't contradict to each other. So similarly, Prabhupada talked about unity in diversity and that we may look at things somewhat differently and they could all be okay. Now that's not about, that's not dealing, that's dealing with details, not principles. Is that all right, Nandimuki? That is right. Thank you so much, Prabhu. Thank you. Now let me go back to my computer and get back to the sixth canto. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so we're going to do uh, the next verses, which we're reading up until 40. And I'm going to connect the purports in 40 to 42. They're very, uh, they're connected. You'll see. So 37. A rope causes fear for a bewildered person who considers it a snake, but not for a person with proper intelligence who knows it to be only a rope. Similarly, you, as a super soul in everyone's heart, inspire fear or fearlessness according to one's intelligence. But in you, there is no duality. With deliberation, one will see that the supreme soul, although manifested in different ways, is actually the basic principle of everything. Uh, the total material energy is the cause of material manifestation. But the material energy, oh, there you go, uh, Andy, exactly what we were talking about. 
but the material energy is caused by him. Therefore, he is the cause of all causes. The manifester of intelligence and the senses. He is perceived as the super soul of everything. Without him, everything would be dead. You as a super soul, the supreme controller, are the only one remaining. Therefore, O killer of the Madhu demon, incessant transcendental bliss flows in the minds of those who have even once tasted but a drop of the nectar from the ocean of your glories. Such exalted devotees forget the tiny reflection of so-called material happiness produced from the material senses of sight and sound. Free from all desire, such devotees are the real friends of all living entities. Offering their minds unto you and enjoying transcendental bliss, they are expert in achieving the real goal of life. O Lord, you are the sole and dear friend of such devotees. Who Lord, O personified three worlds, father of the three worlds, O strength of the three worlds in the form of the Mamana incarnation, O three-eyed form of Nishinga, Dave, I'm not, sure what the, I'm not sure what that form is. Oh, most beautiful person within the three worlds. Everything and everyone, including human beings and even the Taita demons and the Dhanavas and the Dhanavas is but an expansion of your energy. Oh, supremely powerful one, you have always appeared in your form as, as a various incarnations to punish the demons as soon as they become very powerful. You appear as Lord Vamanadev, Lord Rama, and Lord Krishna. You appear sometimes as an animal like Lord Bor, sometimes a mixed incarnation like Lord Nursingadev and Lord Hayagriva, and sometimes as an aquatic like Lord Fish and Lord Tortoise. Assuming such various forms, you have always punished the demons and tunnels. We therefore pray that your Lordship appear today as another incarnation, if you so desire, to kill the great demon, Brittrasura. Um, and then in the purport, uh, let's see, I'm going to read the, from the, starting from the paragraph that begins the difference between the difference between Sakama and Akama devotees is that when Sakama devotees like the demigods fall into difficulty, they approach the Supreme personality of Godhead for relief. Whereas Akama devotees, even in the greatest danger, never disturb the Lord for material benefits. Even if an Akama devotee is suffering, he thinks this is due to his past impious activities and agrees to suffer the consequences. He never disturbs the Lord. Sakama devotees immediately pray to the Lord as soon as they are in difficulty, but they are regarded as pious because they consider themselves fully dependent on the mercy of the Lord. So yes, it's by, you know, the impious people figure, you know, by my own mental intelligence and physical strength, I'll figure this out and no need to pray to anybody. Okay, so that's on the other extreme. And then Prabhupada quotes this famous, most famous verse, the verse that Prabhupada said should be the guide of all devotees. Um, 10, 14, 8. And then he paraphrases it, that even while suffering in the midst of difficulties, devotees simply offer their prayers and service more enthusiastically in this way, they become firmly fixed in devotional service and eligible to return home back to God without a doubt. Sakama devotees, of course, achieve from the Lord the results they desire for their prayers, from their prayers, but they do not immediately become fit to return to Godhead. Okay. And then let me read uh, the purport 
to 22, and then we'll discuss this point. I'm beginning a few sentences down. A pure devotee is aware that since nothing is unknown to the Supreme Personality of God, this is a very interesting point, he need not be informed of a devotee's conveniences and inconveniences. A pure devotee knows that there is no need to ask the absolute truth for any material necessities. Therefore, while informing the Supreme Lord about their distress in being attacked by Britasura, the demigods apologize for offering prayers for their safety. A neophyte devotee, of, of course, approaches the Supreme Lord for relief from distress or poverty, or f- for speculative knowledge of the Lord. Bhagavad Gita 7.16 mentions four kinds of pious men who begin devotional service to the Lord. One who is distressed, artha. One in need of money, artarti. One who is inquisitive, jigyasu. And one who is searching for the absolute truth, gani. A pure devotee, however, knows that since the Lord is omnipresent and omniscient, there is no need to offer prayers or worship him for one's personal benefit. A pure devotee always engages in the service of the Lord without demanding anything. The Lord is present everywhere and knows the necessities of his devotees. Consequently, there is no need to disturb him by asking him for material benefits. Okay. So, is there no need for prayer, therefore? My first question. Is that what this is saying? There's no need for prayer? Krishna already has it figured out, what we need. And therefore, we should make it the eightfold process of bhakti, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu smaranam, padasavanam, and skip vandanam, just archanam, and etc. Your thoughts on that? We need to pray to God to glorify him and thank him for all he has done for us. Okay, we pray to God to glorify him and thank him. Very good. What else? Well, question I'll, I'll go ahead, Nandimuki, yes. I think when when the devotee actually uh, speak out that prayer, it's uh, strengthened the relationship. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, so much about prayer is is entering into a relationship and entering into a mood and into a mood of humility. And plus, Prabhupada is saying here, we don't pray for material things, for our personal benefit. Uh, well, not we, but a pure devotee. Um, we pray for mercy. We pray for love. We pray for the benefit of others. We pray for so many things. Prayer is uh, one of the most important parts of bhakti. So, yes, where we're just not, but it's it's the what are we praying for? So the question is, uh, on our level of bhakti, should we, adopt these instructions or is it okay for us sometimes oh you know Krishna you know you know can I can no, I get you, can I get a Christmas bonus this year from work? You have to learn how to pray. Okay. So, yeah. And what does that mean you have to learn how to pray? Well it already said in there that you can demand from the Lord. You don't even have to ask. Uh you can demand things. And <laughs> he probably has to give them to you. But then you're only not really glorifying the Lord. So you haven't really learned how to pray if you do that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he doesn't, as we're going to read in some later purports, um, he doesn't always give the material things. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. But yes, but it depends on, so learning how to pray. Yeah. 
Yeah. When he denies it, he does that as a boon to really teach you further. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Suganda said she likes this prayer from uh, Prithu. Please, therefore, please do not ask me to take some material benefits from you. But as a father, not waiting for the son's demands, does everything for the benefit of the son. Please bestow upon me whatever you think is best for me. Okay, so that's that. That's really beautiful, and it also ties in with the sense the verse. If I'm not mistaken, where is it? Hmm. It's not here, I guess. But I, I thought about this, uh, and Suganda, thank you so much for bringing it up. I thought about this because. I was thinking of uh, where. Oh, okay. So first of all, um, if you this 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 words, if you so desire, okay, because it does come. I'm trying to see where where it came. It does does kind of. Let me just type it real quick. If you so do, so it comes up in various places, but I did. It came up in this past time. Oh, in verse 40. Yeah, now I was looking at 42. Uh, the, last, the last sentence. We therefore pray that your Lordship appear today as another incarnation, if you so desire to kill the demon Vritrasura. So generally, the using that word, if you so desire, is a really, really good way to make our prayers uh, on the right path, right? Spiritual. Although here the demigods seem to be, you know, they're, they're saying if you so desire, but in the purports we're reading that they were using it in a different way. Well, if you so desire, but please do desire <laughs> this way, you know, right? But that, but the prayer, if you so desire is, is so nice. <clears throat> it first shows up in the first canto in Queen Kunti's prayer. Oh, my Lord, you are all powerful. Oh, no, this is not Queen Kunti. Sorry. This is, um, uh, Arjuna, so uh, our, if you so desire, the a fiery iron arrow is coming towards me. No, no, I'm sorry. This is, um, I keep on getting it. This is Uttara, right? Oh, my Lord, you are all powerful. A fiery iron arrow is coming towards me fast. My Lord, let it burn me personally, if you so desire. But please do not let it uh, burn and abort my embryo. Please do me this favor, my Lord. Now, of course, we understand, you know, you could say she's praying for a material thing to, to protect Maharaj Prikshit. Um, and it, this is showing the selfish, selfish, the selfless love of mother also, right? That's okay. If you so desire, let it, let it burn me, but don't let it hurt my child. Um, then we hear, um, Vasudev Datsa, very, very powerful. He says, my Lord, you are certainly able to do whatever you like. You are indeed merciful, and you are indeed merciful. If you so desire, you can very easily do whatever you want. And then he goes to pray, I want the deliverance of all conditioned souls. Um, in another place, in Prabhupada's talking about the song Manasa De, uh, Deha Grihe, Jamabo Moi Icha Jadi Tor. If you so desire, because the devotee goes back to go home goes back to Godhead. Therefore, Bhaktivinoda Thakur pro, uh, proposes, if you like, that I shall again take birth. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want. And then in his prayer uh, on the Jaladutta, um, 
in Boston Harbor, he says, I wish that you may deliver them. Therefore, if you so desire their deliverance, then only will they be able to understand your message. So this idea of if you so desire is such a nice way to pray to the Lord. You know, we may, you know, say, yeah, I would kind of like it this way, but Krishna, if you so desire. And then this is a very significant one. This is from uh, Hari Sari Prabhu's diary. Um, the mantra or prayer, my dear Lord Krishna, if you so desire, please cure Srila Prabhupada, was personally given to us by his divine grace. Devotees were making up some of their own sincere prayers, and some asked Prabhupada for prayers that we could make. In response to our pitiful requests, he made this prayer. The prayer is admirable because Prabhupada didn't ask us to demand of the Lord, but instead included the phrase, if you so desire. It is another example of Prabhupada's expertise in training us to appreciate that everything is under Krishna's control. Otherwise, it is possible that we might have been strongly praying for something Krishna didn't want. It isn't harmful for a devotee to express his deep emotions as long as he or she knows that Krishna will make the final decision. <clears throat> In this matter of whether Prabhupada would stay with us longer, Prabhupada himself seemed to wait for Krishna's ultimate decision. In a sense, the prayer seemed to reflect Prabhupada's own feeling that he would like to stay with us, but if Krishna desired otherwise, he would accept that wholeheartedly. Of course, once we began to recite the mantra, our emphasis was on, my dear Lord Krishna, please cure Srila Prabhupada. <laughs> um, so any thoughts on if, if you so desire and, and entering the right mood of prayer of, uh, or at least going towards the pure devotee prayer that Prabhupada is glorifying in, in these purports? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Um, if you do so desire is setting the proper intention and consciousness of it's not, we are not demanding or we are not seeing the Supreme Lord as an order supplier. Rather, it's saying if you so desire, if you want to give it, you can give it. And if you don't want to give it, that's your desire, that's fine too. So we are giving that control back to the Supreme Lord and not imposing ourselves on him. Uh-huh. I like that. And yes, giving back the control that he already has, but yes, yes. And, and you know, the other thing Raghunanda on the pro is thinking is, you know, we, it's, it's good training for us because, you know, we could still use it a little materially. Like we say, you know, Krishna, please let my uh, son get into a really good university if you so desire. But really we're saying it like you better desire it. <laughs> so we also have to say those words with the right intention. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, Prabhu. Yeah, yeah. Also, Prabhuji, like we don't know what is good for us, so we can ask for things that can really harm us, so we can leave it up to Krishna to give us whatever is good for us. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I, we probably all had that experience, and sometimes you don't know. Uh, you're you get a flat tire, and you think, "Oh my God." But, you know, if you hadn't gotten a flat tire, you might have gotten a car accident 10 miles down the road. So, you know, but we, all we're doing is blaming the Lord for getting the flat tire or something like that. Right? But, you know, we don't know all the different silver linings. You know, some are more obvious. You know, that story about uh, the person who was drowning and the helicopter comes to pick them up. He said, no, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. 
the boat comes along. No, no, I'm waiting for God to save you. He drowns. He goes to heaven. He meets Saint, you know, he meets the Lord in heaven. It's a Christian story. And he said, you know, my Lord, why didn't you show up to save me? And he said, well, I sent the helicopter. I sent the boat. What else do you want? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so, yes, so much, like you're saying, Suganda, so much happens beyond our purview in our lives. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's powerful. And, and uh, Arjuna, so Arjuna in the uh, seventh chapter of the first canto, it's, it's interesting. So Ashvatama, his life is in danger. And the only thing he can think of is he's going to try to kill off Arjuna by sending a Brahmastra weapon at him. Even though in the Vedic times, you weren't supposed to send a, a, such a strong weapon unless you knew how to withdraw it. He didn't know how to withdraw it. So um, it's coming at him. It's going to kill him. And Arjuna doesn't immediately just say, Krishna, help, right? He's, he, he reels off like three or four beautiful prayers to the Lord. So, you know, and then he says, O Lord of Lords, how is it that this dangerous effulgence is spreading all over, all around? Where does it come from? I do not understand. And in the purport, Prabhupada says, anything that is presented before the personality of God, it should be done so after due presentation of respectful prayers. Suganda said that, or Nandamukhi, I can't remember, one of the two said that earlier today. That is the standard procedure. And Sri Arjuna although an intimate friend of the Lord is observing this method for general information. So before, so yes, he, <laughs> he did somewhat directly ask for the Lord's help, but first he glorified the Lord in, in three or four beautiful prayers. And besides, you know, and he just said, where do you know, I do not understand it. He didn't just say, help me, you know. And of course then Krishna understood and Krishna did the rest. Okay, anything else on this point? It's such, an, it's such a powerful point, and it really pretty much continues for the rest of this chapter in different ways. This point about um, uh, praying for in a spiritual way, and that we, Prabhupada was training us to do that. Now, we may do it in the beginning without a lot of realization, but still. You know, it, it's a good habit to get into. And gradually, it, the, the, the right intention deepens as, as we practice that. Okay, so 43, and we're going up to 45, I believe. Yes. Dear Lord, you are omniscient, and therefore you know very well why we have taken shelter at your lotus feet, which provide shade that gives relief from all material disturbances. Since you are the supreme spiritual master and you know everything, we have sought shelter of your lotus feet for instruction. <clears throat> Please give us relief by counteracting our present distress. So that he's, therefore he's just saying it. Listen. Please give us relief from distress. Your lotus feet are the only shelter for a fully surrendered devotee and are only and are the only means for subduing all the tribulations of the material world. So they may be overstating their case a little bit at being fully surrendered, at least uh, by based on Sheila Prabhupada's purport earlier. But still, you know, you know, you, you hear, no, no, I, I'll do whatever you say, Krishna. You know, um, 
whether we fully mean it. Yeah. Text 44. Therefore, O Lord, O Supreme Controller, O Lord Krishna, please annihilate this dangerous demon, Bhadrasura. Swasta's son, who has already swallowed all of our weapons, our, paraf- our paraphernalia for fighting, and our strength and influence. O Lord, O Supreme Pure, you live within the core of everyone's heart and observe all the desires and activities of the conditioned souls. That's scary. O Supreme Personality of God and known as Lord Krishna, your reputation is bright and illuminating. You have no beginning, for you are the beginning of everything. This is understood by pure devotees because you are easily accessible to the pure and truthful. When the conditioned souls are liberated and sheltered at your lotus feet after roving throughout the material world for many millions of years, they attain the highest success of life. Therefore, O Lord, O Supreme Personality of God, we offer our respectful obeisances at your lotus feet. Um, the purport, right in the beginning, Prabhupada writes, the demigods certainly wanted Lord Vishnu to relieve their anxiety. But now they directly approach Lord Krishna. For although there is no difference between Lord Vishnu and Lord Krishna, Krishna descends to this planet in his Vasudev feature for the purpose of prarichanaya sadhunam vinashaya chadusvita, protecting his devotees and annihilating the miscreants. So, um, this is Krishna. And Krishna, in his Vasudev form, he takes care of the demons in Krishna Lila. Prabhupada writes, uh, or he, in his arrival at Bhaktivedanta Manor in 1973, he said, So far, Gopi Jana Balava, our simple worshipful personality, supreme personality of Godhead, Radhamadava, he is always enjoying in the company of Srimati Radharani. He does not go outside Vrindavan. Krishna, original Krishna, does not go even a step out of Vrindavan, leaving aside the gopis. Vrindavanam prajagyamami ma'anapadam ekam kutra kachiti. He does not go anywhere. Okay. Uh, and then in uh, this Krishna book, uh, the last uh, chapter, verse chapter 90, after returning from the spiritual kingdom, which, was, which he was able to visit personally with Krishna, Arjuna was very much astonished. He thought to himself that although he was only an ordinary living entity, by the grace of Krishna, it had been possible for him to see the spiritual world. Not only had he seen the spiritual world, but he had also personally seen the original Mahavishnu, the cause of the material creation. It is said that Krishna never goes out of Vrindavan. Vrindavanam padam ekam nagachati. Krishna is supreme in Mathura, but he is more supreme in Dwarka, and he is most supreme in Vrindavan. Krishna's pastimes in Dwarka are displayed by his Vasudev portion. Yet there is no difference between the Vasudev portion manifest in Mathura and Dwarka and the original manifestation of Krishna in Vrindavan. In the beginning of this book, we have discussed that when Krishna appears, all his incarnations, plenary portions, and portions of plenary portions come with him. Thus, some of his different pastimes are manifest not by the, not by the original Krishna himself, but by his expansion. And one more, uh, very short, Prabhupada says in the lecture, this is the real picture of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Radha Madhava Kunjabihari. Krishna has no other business. Vrindavanam Prachagyam Panam Ekam Nagachati. 
original Krishna or the Adi Purusha, who is known as Adi Purusha, he is always in Vrindavan. But he expands as Vasudev, Sankarshan, Aniruddha, Praduna, so many unlimited incarnations. But the original form is in Vrindavan. So uh, because the demigods chose to now approach Krishna rather than Vishnu, uh, I thought I would give some background to that. And that he, and then Prabhupada even says, Krishna descends to this planet in his Vasudev feature for this purpose. So any thoughts, questions, comments about this point about Krishna? He never leaves Vrindavan. He's always with the gopis. And he has a Vasudev feature that, that does the Parichanayas, that does the Vinashayata Duskritam that, you know, takes care of, uh, things in Dwarka and Atura, et cetera. It's all good? Uh, Krishna Prabhu. Yes, uh, Even in Vrindavan, when he is killing the demons, uh, the same Vasudeva feature is the one that is responsible for right. uh, killing the demons to protect his associates and devotees in Vrindavan. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. So Vrindavan Krishna, um, or as Prabhupada says, Radha Madhava, or in our case, Radha Madhavan, these are the topmost understanding of the Supreme Lord. Okay, we all, wow, we were actually going to, we may finish this chapter today. We have two more verses. Well, two more verses to study. We're going to read from 46. Now Sukadeva Goswami goes back to Maharaj Prikshit and says, when the demigods offered the Lord their sincere prayers in this way, the Lord listened by his causeless mercy. Being pleased, he then replied to the demigods. The Supreme Personality of God had said, O oh, beloved demigods, you have offered your prayers to me with great knowledge, and I am certainly most pleased with you. A person is liberated by such knowledge, and thus he remembers my exalted position, which is above the conditions of material life. Such a devotee is fully purified by offering prayers and full knowledge. This is the source of devotional service to me. 48. O oh, best of the intelligent demigods, Although it is true that nothing is difficult for one to obtain when I am pleased with him, a pure devotee whose mind is exclusively fixed upon me does not ask me for anything. He, he's kind of preaching to the demigods here for anything but the opportunity to engage in devotional service. Those who think material assets to be everything or to be the ultimate goal of life are called misers, creepinas. They do not know the uh, ultimate necessity of the soul. In one place, Prabhupada calls it the Govinda necessity. Moreover, if one awards that which is desired by such fools, he must also be considered foolish. Prabhupada writes, if a Kripana, and then Andy brought this up earlier, if a Kripana, not knowing his self-interest, foolishly asks for something material, one who awards it to him is also foolish. Krishna, however, is not a foolish person. He is supremely intelligent. If someone comes to Krishna asking for material benefits, Krishna does not award him the material things he desires. Instead, the Lord gives him intelligence so that he will forget the, the, his material desires and become attached to the Lord's lotus feet. In such cases, although the Kripana offer, offers prayers to Lord Krishna for material things, 
The Lord takes away whatever material possessions the Kripana has and gives him the sense to become a devotee. Now, um, in other places, Krishna says uh, that he does award, but it, but it takes more time. I think that's in the fourth chapter of the Gita, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that, that one, the, the, uh, the translation is more about how the demigods award things quickly. So, um, then Prabhupada quotes this uh, verse from the uh, Madhya chapter 22, verse 39. Since I am very intelligent, why should I give this fool material prosperity? Instead, I shall induce him to take the nectar of the shelter of my lotus feet and make him forget illusory material enjoyment. If one sincerely, now that's a key word here, prays to God for material possessions and in exchange for devotional service, the Lord who is not foolish like such an unintelligent devotee shows him special favor by taking away whatever material possessions he has and gradually giving him the intelligence to be satisfied only by rendering service to his lotus feet. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments in this regard that if a foolish child requests his mother to give him poison, the mother, being intelligent, will certainly not give him poison, even though he requests it. A materialist does not know that to accept material possessions uh, uh, means to accept poison or the repetition of birth and death. An intelligent person, a brahmana, aspires for liberation from material bondage, and that is the real self-interest of a human being. Now, when we read this, we may have some tendency to focus on the, oh, no, Krishna takes everything away. Um, we also might, but instead we might want to rec- we might want to focus on what the real point here is that Krishna is very, very kind. And so he finds a way to bring us towards him. Mm. And this is, this is when Krishna is very, very kind that he really tries to bring someone to his lotus feet because that's what will bring us happiness, not, you know, the material desires. That's what will bring us happiness. So this is a very special um, feature of the Lord that he that he for the, he will do this sometimes to help the great you know a sincere person. Some thoughts on this? Uh, it reminds me of an example of uh, a sick child, maybe afflicted with typhoid or jaundice, have certain food restrictions, and the child wants to eat something, but it's not good for the child in the present condition of life, and until the sickness is cured. So the parents will not give whatever the child is asking for during that time. When this child is cured, then the child is free to partake of anything. But during that sick condition, the parents are very careful not to give whatever the child wants because it might affect the health of the child even more. Nice. Nice. Yes. Um, and I'll read one thing. Uh, of course, Krishna is giving all living entities protection, even in their rebellious condition. Eko bahunam kaman. Without Krishna's protection, we cannot live for a second. When we admit and recognize Krishna's kindness, we become happy. Isn't that a nice sentence? When we admit and recognize. So admit is like, okay, Krishna, you're the Lord, I'm not. You know, When we admit and recognize Krishna's kindness, we become happy. Krishna is protecting us at every moment, but we do not realize this because we have taken life at our own risk. 
Krishna gives us a certain amount of freedom saying, all right, do whatever you like. As far as possible, I will give you protection as far as possible. However, when the living entity is fully surrendered to Krishna, this, so this is a bit of a different angle than the purport we just read, Krishna takes total charge and gives special protection. If a child grows up and doesn't care for his father and acts freely, what can the father do? He can only say, do whatever you like. But when a son puts himself fully under his father's protection, he receives more care. As Krishna states in the Bhagavad Gita, then he quotes, Samoham Sarvabhuteshu, I'm equal to everyone, but one who renders service is a friend is in me and I'm also a friend to him. How can Krishna be envious of anyone? Everyone is Krishna's son. Similarly, how can Krishna be an enemy towards anyone? Since all living entities are Krishna's sons, he is everyone's friend. Unfortunately, we are not taking advantage of his friendship, and that is our disease. Once we recognize Krishna as our eternal father and friend, we can understand that he is always protecting us. And in this way, we can be happy. Nice. Oh, we have two minutes, so let me just finish these last two verses. Or last verse. A pure devotee who is fully accomplished in the science of devotional service will never instruct the foolish person to engage in fruitive activities for material enjoyment not to speak of helping him in such activities. Such a devotee is like an experienced physician who never encourages a patient to eat food. That was very much like uh, Raghunandan Prabhu was saying. Um, so I'll just read, the, I'll end by reading this uh, one story about from Srila Prabhupada, because here it says uh, the, pure devo- the devotees will not give them the wrong information. So Prabhupada was um, traveling to, um, I think in Madhya Pradesh it was, by train. And uh, there was three people standing outside who wanted to get his darshan. So uh, when Hari Kesha and I went out of the compartment, this is Hari Sari speaking, Hari Sari Prabhu, the curious men were still there. On our return, despite our obvious reluctance to let them in, they strained to see past us, knowing that if they caught Prabhupada's eye, etiquette would oblige him to let them in. Prabhupada made eye contact and he instructed us to let him in. The three filed in and sat opposite, smiling and pleased at having evaded the secretaries of someone they knew was a great spiritual leader and holy man. Thus we all sat, we three somewhat irritated by his this polite infringement on Prabhupada's precious time, they three ignoring us, eager to have his darshan. And Prabhupada is always warm and cordial host. Not at all inconvenience, Prabhupada received them courteously, asking them a few polite questions. And they said, Swamiji, then they said, so what is it that I can do for you? Swamiji, we just want to get your blessings. Prabhupada said, what is that blessing? This answer took them by surprise. No one had ever asked them what kinds of blessings. Caught off guard, guard, one of them replied, well, Swamiji, I have this pain in my knee. <laughs> we almost groaned out loud, and the man, becoming embarrassed, has hastily added, and for our families also. Strike two. <laughs> says, sorry, sorry. Ah, and of course, we want to do good for others. As he trailed off into confused silence, Prabhupada indicated his three disciples with shaved heads, sikas, kurtas, dotis, and tulsi beads, he told them, this is my blessing. These boys have given up everything for Krishna's service and to chant Hare Krishna. 
Are you prepared to accept such a blessing? At first, there was no reply. They were stunned. All kinds of wild thoughts seemed to run through their heads and across their face. Then before they could become the beneficiaries of this blessing, they hurriedly stood. One stammered, well, actually, Swamiji, at the moment, we have so many duties with the family and all this kind of life of a sannyasi. For us, is not possible. With profuse apologies and many thanks, they beat a hasty retreat. We laughed as Prabhupada sat smiling and shook his head. This is the problem. They simply take a sadhu as some means for avoid paying the doctor's bill. <laughs> That's all. Asirvad Maharaj. They are not serious for spiritual life. So, um, the verse said, right, that uh, such a devotee, like an expert physician, never will never encourage a patient to eat food injurious to his health. So Prabhupada was a perfect example of that. Nice story, huh? Yes. Okay, well, we have finished chapter nine. And we are going to continue the the pastime of Richasura for a number of uh, more weeks. So I look forward to having your association next week. And uh, Wish you all the best. Okay? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.